Hey, Mark. We're back. A couple of, what, two to three weeks later than we said we were going to be? Just two. I think just two weeks. Yeah, why is that, Mark? Why why are we late? Uh, I don't actually have a good reason, do you? I know that it's probably my fault because, you know what, I was busy staining my deck. So, yeah. Okay. There, that's a perfectly reasonable excuse. Welcome, everyone, to uh, season two of Recreative. We can't believe that we even managed to finish season one. And we're very excited about season two, so uh, we hope you are too when you start listening. Hello, Mark. Joe, what's the most embarrassed you've ever been? That's a good question, right? Wow. You know what I the know. fascinating thing is? I drove my daughter to a camp she's working at today. Yeah. And she asked me the same question. No. <laughs> yeah. We talked about some of our most embarrassing moments. <laughs> and, uh, oh, I've had some doozies. How much are we, we could devote the entire episode to that. Okay. Well, we don't, you don't have to answer the question either. It's a very personal <laughs> question. But. Uh, okay. No, I, I want to answer it. I want to answer it. Okay. No, we're not going to talk about that one. That was too embarrassing. It has to be like the right level of embarrassing. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Like I, you don't, don't tell me something that I absolutely will not be able to scour out of my brain. Like, <laughs> no, don't no, do no. that to me. <laughs> no, no. Well, we were, okay. Uh, this, this was, um, we were talking, oh God, can I even, okay. I can edit this out if I need to. <laughs> <laughs> Can I even? <laughs> so, okay, here's a, yeah, no, an embarrassing moment. So, uh, standing with uh, a couple of friends in front of an elevator in the Toronto Broadcast Center, and uh, and the elevator door opens, and we're all looking to go in, but we can't go in because the elevator's completely packed, and there's a woman there, and I won't use her real name, uh, I'll say uh, Mildred. So, Mildred is standing there, and I say, look at that, guys. If Mildred wasn't there, we'd be able to fit in the elevator, the three of us. And then the door closed. And then one of my friends says to me, you know, Joe, if I was Mildred, I don't think I would have appreciated that remark. (laughs) And immediately I was like humiliated because I'm like, oh, my God, I've just completely offended this woman. And and she was like a person of some considerable influence at the CBC. So I tried to go and apologize to her and I couldn't get through all the secretaries and receptionists and everything to even apologize to her. So finally I faxed her. It was back in the days of fax. And I said, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean anything by that remark. And then she faxed me back and said, I'm never talking to you again, Joe Mahoney. (laughs) At which point I knew that she was, uh, she was okay with it. (laughs) So you're one of the few people in the world that sent an apology fax. Yes. Yes. I think that probably puts you in a fairly rare category. And I do believe it's probably the last fax I ever sent. <laughs> okay, now what about you? Okay, uh, mine goes way back. And I, hopefully our guest Matt is already thinking about what his is, because we're going to have to ask him after oh, yeah. this. So uh, when I was a boy, we lived in England. And it was my first day at this school. Like a, It was like a proper English school. It was uh, not, not a private school as we would consider it, a public school as we consider it. Um, but, you know, we had to wear the short pants even in the winter and so on. And so we had a big assembly. It was my first day there. And they'd spent the entire morning walking me around and telling me all about everything and how wonderful it was. 
And we, we get to the assembly and, you know, all the kids are sitting on the ground like that we always did when we were kids. And the headmaster, because it wasn't the principal, it was a headmaster, says, Mark, would you like a seat? So I stood up in the middle of the assembly and said, no, I'm fine on the ground with everyone else. And then I realized he was talking to another child who was at the back of the hall who had crutches. <laughs> oh, no. And I don't think I've ever recovered from that, to be honest. <laughs> I was so humiliated. <laughs> oh, dear. But at least they didn't say yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And did everyone, like, turn and look at you? And Oh, God, yeah. 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 But it was the least weird thing about me because I was American. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> I had an American <laughs> accent and I, and I said strange things like, can you tell me where the garbage is? And they would like, you mean the rubbish? Garbage, <laughs> <The> rubbish. garbage. <laughs> but yes. Okay. So, so yeah, we've given Matt uh, plenty of time. Matt Watts, our special guest today. You know, I, I don't know if I have a most embarrassing moment because uh, I, I, was, I was combing my brain for this. As someone with an anxiety and panic disorder, it's like it's like mm. every day I have some kind of extreme, extremely embarrassing moment, or at least a seemingly embarrassing moment. And it's even if I look back to my childhood, I can't think of something that was that stands out. So it's possible that either uh, I was just constantly feeling sort of humiliated, or <laughs> there was never anything that was that humiliating to begin with. Which makes me think that maybe I've been looking at my life all wrong because I don't have a specific story like that. I don't have something where I said, oh, yeah, I stood up in front of a group of people and, you know, peed my pants or something like that. I wish I did. I, I, I love both your stories. I wish I had something comparable. Uh, that's, that's fine. I mean, I, I feel like maybe we should have had a trigger warning at the top of this because I didn't <laughs> even consider that someone with an anxiety disorder might find that even the question kind of upsetting. I love it. I don't find it upsetting yeah. at all. I mean, I, I I find it upsetting that I don't have a, uh, something that I can I can you know throw into the, the pot. Uh, it's just uh, I, I I live for humiliating stories because <laughs> because then because because the lesson is that you survive them right when you have these moments where you feel like oh, this is so embarrassing. How am I going to ever live with this? In the end, they become an anecdote that you tell uh, on a podcast years later uh, to make people laugh. So you know that's. That's yeah. ultimately that's the lesson. There's no trigger warning. Yeah. It's it's more like oh, you'll feel good when you hear this. Well, and the great thing is your brain will remind you of it. You know, at four in the morning, just occasionally, just like oh, oh hey, well, remember that time? About that oh my god, well, <laughs> remember that time sure. you did that thing that everyone laughed at and was really humiliating? In high school, and I had a lot of moments with a, a girl that I liked. I'm sure where I stayed up till four in the morning, going oh, why did I say that? Why did I do that? <laughs> just constant regret. I mean, I have I have lots of those. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but nothing, nothing like I, I live in fear of, of, you know, throwing up in front of a group of people. That would be awful. But it's just never happened. Wow. Well, that can be arranged. <laughs> we can get you a bottle of Ipecac and, you know, oh gosh, no. throw you a party and then that, slip it into something. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we should explain uh, who our guest is and uh, why he is or get him to, to do that. As we no, get him do. to do it. I yeah, love the idea it. of someone explaining me. <laughs> it reminds me of a joke. Do you remember the movie? It was uh, Flying Deuces, the Laurel and Hardy movie. Laurel, or, oh no, Hardy decides he's going to kill himself. He's on topic. He's humiliated because of a woman. So he goes down to the river and he's going he's gonna to tie rocks to himself. And he's going to throw in and throw himself in the river. And he insists that uh, Stan Laurel go with him. 
And Stan Laurel says, well, why do I have to die? And then uh, Ollie goes, uh, because if I'm not here, who's going to explain what you are? <laughs> that's a great line. That's a great line. I don't remember that. Something like that. I, I'm paraphrasing. But anyway. Yeah, that's great. You can explain me, Joe, or I can explain myself. I'm not entirely sure how to explain myself. I think you have to explain yourself. We've pretty that much is the made tradition. everyone else do it. Is so that how it goes? Yeah. That's how it goes, man. That's how we roll. We don't do well, any homework. I'm, I'm, I'm Matt Watts and uh, a writer, retired actor, comedian. That's the bullet points. I uh, worked with Joe at CBC for years on uh, radio drama series, multiple ones, and have have moved into a more quiet suburban life, uh, working on a book right now, and uh, just trying to uh, enjoy my middle age, I think, <laughs> for the most part. So you say retired from acting? Is that yeah? That's what I how said. you described it. Um, <laughs> why is that? Just because you wanted a quieter. More, no, it's less I mean, stressful. I, I, I can't remember. I did something. Uh, I was one of the writers on the the Amazon Kids in the Hall series that just came out, mm-hmm. and uh, so uh, as as is tradition, I had a couple little cameo parts in the show. And being on set again, I just I just realized well, I don't really I really don't like this. Huh. I don't I don't enjoy it. I've always been a writer at heart, uh, but then through stand up and performing you know and also let's be honest uh, acting is far more um, soothing and validating for your ego uh i enjoyed it but i enjoyed uh elements of it i think i've just come to a place now where i i just i really i didn't i didn't like being on set i didn't like being in a trailer i just i'm i think the pandemic was a part of it too i just got really comfortable working from home and being at home, Hmm. uh, you know, and, and I like being on set with other people. I just don't like being on set as an actor. So, I mean, I'm quasi retired, right? Like I'm not, I'm not saying no, never again. I'm just not pursuing it. Cause you're very good at it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, uh, I, I also don't like the, I I don't know. I, I deleted all my social media accounts. I just don't like, I just don't like the, the, the public nature of it. I don't know. Hmm. I don't, you know what it is? I, I feel like I've been in therapy long enough that I don't require the validation that comes with performing. <laughs> Does that make sense? That makes total sense to me. To- yeah, absolutely. Yeah, at a certain point, your fuckometer gets down, you, you know, it gets empty and you don't care as much. So I love to write. And, and what, what, what I enjoy so much about listening to the podcast with you guys is when you talk to other writers and you just sort of get into that. You don't, you don't, it's never the focus of the conversation, but it goes there occasionally. And that's the part where I go, oh yeah, I love, I love this talk. I love, I love the talk of 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 the process, and uh, uh, you know, with a- acting, I never cared. About, I never cared about acting process. Do you know what I mean? When other actors talk about their method, I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Isn't that most people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Even other actors. <laughs> that's part of it too, right? There's the public persona, or there's a public perception of actors, and I'm like, I don't want to be associated with that. <laughs> so to the book. Because you mentioned, Matt, that you are writing a book. And I've been bugging you for, you know, a decade and a half to get into writing books. Because I know you're writing from your script writing, you know, from your television writing and especially your your radio writing. But I always thought that you should be doing books. And now you finally are. Yeah. So, tell us about that. Well, I I think it's what I wanted to do when I was a kid. It was where I started. 
uh, in, in grade school, it was the kind of, you know, ignoring every other assignment. It was just the writing assignments that I enjoyed. And it was that kind of thing where you were just, you'd write pages a day and submit them. And, uh, and, and I, I, I loved the craft and I think that's what I wanted to do. And then in high school, the allure of like stand up and television, I mean, it's, it's a lot easier, right? Like writing jokes and writing sketches and then writing half hour episodes. It's like, it's, you know, the, the, there's a skill to it, but it's not as, it's not as many words on a page. And, and, uh, and I just sort of let that idea drift away. And then I'd always had an idea for a book that I wanted to explore and the pandemic happened. And, uh, through my television writing agent, cause it's a big agency and they have uh, a, a book agent, a literary agent. They hooked me up with her just to sort of, uh, talk to her about the process or process. And, and she kind of coached me through the, through most of it. And, uh, just checked in with me once a week. How's it going? I read some pages, that kind of thing. And I just cranked out that first draft and I was shocked that I did it and, and, and then have spent the last year and a half just revising. Uh, and I'm almost done this final revision, I think before it goes out, I felt more in my element writing this than I have anything else in my life. And it's funny because I, I, when people talk about how hard it is to write a book or they're impressed, you know, they go, I can't believe you wrote a book. I don't, I, I think well, it was, it was remarkably easy in some ways in terms of like it, the discipline and the enjoyment of it. I think it was, it was really difficult in other ways, but you know, as a, as someone who's written his entire life, there were certain parts of it that I didn't find as difficult as I think other people would assume it is. And when I hear authors talking about it, about their own processor or the craft, you know, I, I know where my limitations are, but I, I, again, I'm sort of rambling here. I love the craft of it. I love, I love sitting down and, and, and I, 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 Joe, you know this about me. I'm a big outliner. So I like to, I like to outline and hammer that outline. And oh, we've talked about that. And then, yeah. and then, and then sitting down and with room to, you know, deviate from the outline, but I don't know. It just, it, it was one of those things where I had a I had an epiphany during the the book where I thought if I could just do this for the rest of my life I'd never have to I don't, <laughs> don't want to write television again I never want to have to go back to that world it's so self contained too I just really enjoyed I just really enjoyed amusing myself to be honest yeah. you know if there's a component of that where it's just like I'm my own audience here and obviously I care about what other people think but it's the most indulgent and uh, immersive writing experience you can have. Yeah, and, and, yeah. and, and also, you know, I love the idea of writing this thing and it exists finished. Whereas, you know, you write a television show, it's a blueprint for something. You're handing it to actors and it, it might not ever get made. That's, that's the biggest part too. The book is done, right? It's the finished product. You can put it out. Hopefully other people read it. But even if they don't, it's just out in the world as opposed to most of the stuff I write ends up in a drawer because it either doesn't get produced or, you know, somebody. Frustrating. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So it was just, it was so satisfying on so many levels uh, that I'm, you know, ready to finish this one and, and move on to the next one. There are three things I want to say to you. First of all, it's pronounced proceeds. <laughs> and uh, second of all, uh, don't worry about the rambling. I will cut that down to 15 words. And and the final thing is just a huge reassurance that uh, as Mark and I can tell you that there's tons of money in writing. I know. I can't So wait. yeah, you should be able to spend the rest of your life doing it. I know. I know. It's unfortunate, right? Like that's the, yeah. that's, that's the, that's the reality is that it's not, the chances are 
there's not going to be a big windfall at the end of this. But that's not why I did it. Again, it, you know, the only regret I had while I was writing it was that I didn't do it sooner. You know, I, I, I did think if I had if I had started on this path in high school and wrote my first book in my early 20s, let's say, and I'm 48 now. How many books could I have written in that period of time? Oh yeah, and you would be rich. You wouldn't be talking to schmucks like us. Yeah. No, but then, but then I realized I was talking to my girlfriend about this yesterday. I said that I, I it would have been such an isolating life. You know, the thing is that I'm a very I, I spend a lot of time by myself anyway, and I always have. But as, as a teenager, getting out to the clubs and doing stand up and meeting people, it got me a part of a, a mm -hmm. maybe a part of a huge community. So I, I appreciate that. If I had never. If I'd never, I would have never met you, Joe, to be honest, right? Like, That's true. This is all part, I met you through CBC Radio after working on Newsroom on in CBC Television. And, you know, so it's, I'm, I'm happy for the life I led, but I do wish I'd written some more books earlier. I really connect with the idea of how it's not narcissistic, but it's, it's very self-involved, the process of writing. And for me, like, this is my favorite time of year because this is the time when I have, I'm not teaching right now. So I have the the mental space to draft a book yeah. um, and I've become a pantser. I used to be an outliner. So Matt, get a few more books under your belt and you might become a pantser at some point because that's happened to me. Now, do you, is it more exciting for you to, it's exciting. And every morning I wake up and it's like, Oh God, I get to find out what happens next in this story. And I'm always surprised. Well, that's not true. I'm 90% of the time surprised by what happens when I sit down to write, because it's stuff comes out that I hadn't really thought about or planned, and it's so much fun. But yeah, it's <laughs> it's really self involved. There's no question about that. But I mean, if you can't entertain yourself, you're never going to be able to entertain a reader. I mean, I guess that's the ultimate expression of it too. Is if you're, especially as a pantser, right? If the idea is that you're surprising yourself every day, there's even more enjoyment you're getting out of your your own your own writing. Yeah. It does mean for more drafts, though. I think that's the one right. thing I would say is that at the end of the day, yeah, you're, you're doing four. I do four or five drafts now rather than three. The book. So the book that I wrote, I outlined like a film. And that meant that I got about one third of the way through the outline when I realized it was way too short. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I started improvising and deviated and and. A, wrote a bit by the seat of my pants until I got back to the outline. So there's a huge middle section. And then I had to take the book and card it, like go scene by scene, put it on the wall, and then rearrange the whole book just to 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 make sense of the stuff I'd added. Because I, you know, I added like a hundred pages that didn't necessarily belong where it ended up. And 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 I and I have to admit that section was the most fun. But I still knew where I was going to end up mm -hmm. at a certain yeah. point. I can relate to that. My first book was like that. So you you just turned forty eight, right? Yeah, Douglas Adams. <laughs> how old? How old was he? Oh my God. When he died, was he sadly, like, was he even fifty? I think he was like forty eight. We are going to uh, we are going to We're Wikipedia. All looking at Wikipedia. I can Wikipedia see right now. I, well, no, I'm leaving it to you, Mark. Okay, I'm, I looking, can, I'm uh, looking right now. Uh, I can see that rosy glow of the computer on your face. He was 49 years old. Oh, 49 my years old. Oh, my God. He did so much by the age of 49. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, you're, but you're just getting started. You got uh, a whole bunch of books in you. 
But the reason I bring up Douglas Adams. I'll say this, Wendy, just to interrupt you, but as a 48-year-old yeah. first-time novelist, uh, the, the beauty of, of books is that uh, there's no such thing as like, I mean, there are a couple, but there are exceptions. It, there's no like child prodigy authors. It's something that tends to come later for most people because you need the life experience. It's not it's not writing a song that is, you know, passion and 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 gumption. It's, you know, experience and, and education. Uh, and I, I would I would argue it's better to write books as you're older. Uh, and, and that's it. That's all. I just wanted to throw that out. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I tell myself in the morning. I, I agree that like I've always thought that being interested in, in writing books is great because it, it's something that you can do your entire life, presumably. Yes. You know, as opposed to, you know, I went to school with guys who are like hugely into sports and they wanted to be, you know, sports stars, hockey stars, basketball stars. And there's a shelf life on that. Mm -hmm. And then you got to figure out what you're going to do afterwards. But with books, you can spend your whole life going, you know, I'm going to write that book eventually. And then you're like 70 years old. I'm going to, I can still do it. I just saw today that uh, Bram Stoker was 50 when he wrote Dracula. Mm -hmm. I did not know that. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing about writing is that, uh, you know, you can continue to get better. Yeah. As uh, even your 80s, you can get better. Hell, I noticed that from you revision know? to revision. Yeah. I'm just even on the first book, I, I was looking at some first draft stuff and I thought, holy cow, <laughs> this yeah. is garbage. I think James Mishner was writing to his late 80s early, you know, he died at 91. He was still writing. Yeah. I, I was really lucky. I got a chance. I got a chance to talk with, um, uh, he wrote the Manticore and Robertson Davies. I hate it when that happened. Robertson Davies, thank you. Yeah, um, I got a chance to meet him, and he was in his eighties, and he was writing still, and he was still writing really good books. So that's one of the great things about writing is that it's it's you can yeah. keep doing it, and you can keep improving too. Well, and he did absolutely get better as as he went along. At one point, he said it was after my parents died. That's when I finally was able to like. That's interesting because all the self consciousness went really away. Interesting. That's I believe that's in that. fascinating. I, I, yeah. There's a lot there. So Matt, you were going to talk about. So the irony is we've been talking about books, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now you're going to talk about a radio show. Well, uh, I'm going to talk about uh, a, a radio show that most people know as a book, uh, which is Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, uh, yes. by Douglas Adams. I've never heard of that. Can you tell us about that? You've never heard of it? I was just going to say, I believe we've all read it and heard the series, but apparently Joe has it. <laughs> you know, I was hard-pressed to figure out what uh, what what single piece of artwork uh, influenced me the most. And I so I had to just think about my childhood and what I loved as a kid. And with Hitchhikers, you, I can remember all the steps that got me there. And uh, I had a friend. I have no siblings, but I had I had I had friends who uh, there was a, a guy named Derek Schrainer when I was a kid. He was the older brother of a girl who I went to school with, and Derek introduced me to Holy Grail. And Holy Grail, I was oh God, I was ten, I think, and it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen, and that set me down a path. And I'm one of these guys. And I have always been my entire life. Uh, if you introduce me to something that I really like, I start connect. I start going down the rabbit hole of, you know, who influenced them, who who else was in that world, like that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so with Grail, I went on to Python, Goon Show, and then eventually the first book of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I was probably about twelve when I read it, eleven or twelve, and uh, I read that book back to front. That and, and restaurant, uh, 
as many times as I could. I was, you know, because at that age also you repeat a lot of what you're reading. You read it over and over. Or you watch the same movies multiple times. I read that book so many times. And then I didn't know it was at a radio, a radio show. I happened to be in the world's biggest bookstore. And they had that large, the, the audio section, cassettes and things. And they had this big clamshell box of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And I was like, what is this? At first, I thought it was just like, you know, a book on tape. And on the back of the cover, it said BBC Radio Series. So I used, I, you know, used my allowance. I bought it. I took it home. I listened to the first episode and it blew my mind. And, and that mm-hmm. was it. And I was hooked and I listened to the whole thing and, and started, you know, cause then they also, they'd put out, uh, LPs. They re recorded, uh, I think the first four episodes or the first six, the first phase without, with the same actors. And, uh, and, and that was it. So that, that's it. And, and, and I think that shaped my sense of humor, my, you know, love of science fiction, even, uh, it all kind of stems from hitchhikers. And then also, you know, as a kid, I was like into Doctor Who. And when I found out that Douglas Adams had written some of the, the most exciting Doctor Who episodes, at least from, from my generation, right? It was Tom Baker and right. things like that. It was, it was the city of death. Like those episodes were, were big, big episodes mm-hmm. when I was a kid. So it all came down to him. And I don't know what year it was that Dirk Gently came out, but I skipped school and I went to the world's biggest bookstore and uh, I met the man mm. and uh, he signed my book and he said, uh, what's, where'd you get that pin? I was wearing a don't, don't panic pin. And I said it was from the Infocom Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy video game. And I thought it was weird that he didn't know that. Uh, and that was it. That was my brief little <laughs> meeting with the man. So, okay. So a couple of things. Uh, number one, the, uh, so the, the radio version came before the books, right? Correct. And yes. then he wrote the books. He had a crazy whirlwind year there where he, he was a writer on Python. If I remember correctly, he had an idea. It was going to be like a, a series, an anthology series. And each episode was about the world ending. And then it grew into hitchhikers. And I don't know if you had an order for a full series or an order for a pilot, but he, he did the show and it was successful and a publisher was interested in turning it into a book. Meanwhile, there was a second series and then also they wanted a TV series of it. And then he was doing all this while he was uh, show running Doctor Who. So it was, there was a period of like two or three years there where he had a million things on the go yeah. and several of them were hitchhikers related. Wow. And now, okay. The other thing is that we asked guests to come on this show and talk about something which has inspired them. And and you're presenting us a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the the radio version, and it absolutely, completely, obviously inspired you because then you went on to actually make radio plays for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, which is where I met you. Well, and and it's interesting because I had listened to radio shows before that. Remember when I was a kid, you could get uh, records out of the library of like The Shadow or The Green Hornet or Superman, the old forties radio stuff so I'd, I'd heard it and i loved that stuff but then hitchhikers it all kind of coalesced and then yeah i had always had loved this idea of doing radio drama and uh i'd started developing this idea for television to be honest called steve the first a, a post-apocalyptic comedy in the vein of hitchhikers i mean it's got it, it, i'm sure if we listen to it today we'd be like oh it's i mean at the time even we knew it had hitchhikers all over it too much so that it kind of you know, doesn't totally work because, you know, what makes Hitchhikers so great is the kind of Winnie the Pooh rhythmic Britishness of it. Yeah. His voice, his voice helps a lot, I think. Exactly. And, 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 
and then I, I I pitched it as a television series, and then uh, someone it might have been Mark McKinney suggested it as a radio series, and I pitched it to to someone at CBC, our friend Tom Anico, right? And uh, he 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 picked it up for a pilot, and uh, and then then I recorded a pilot, and. I got the first mix and I hated it. <laughs> and then meanwhile, they'd ordered the other five. And when we went into record episode two, there was an engineer there who had heard the pilot and started telling me everything that was wrong with the mix of the pilot. And I agreed with him a hundred percent. And that man was Joe Mahoney. And uh, I was I so obnoxious back then. You were, I, re- I vividly remember the day of, of you sitting at, at the, at the board and us having this conversation and leaving and saying, Joe's got to work on the show. He's got to work on the pilot. I want him to mix. I want him to remix it. And it was a very complicated thing because it was being mixed in Winnipeg. And uh, I had to fight to have it taken away from whoever was mixing it there. And no offense to that person, but you just had a better handle on it. And also, I could be with you because I couldn't go to Winnipeg. So Joe and I started working together. And I would go to the studio with you while you mixed. And I would. do you remember while I was writing episode two, you were mixing and I was on the floor with cards trying to card the episode, <laughs> listening to you mix. And I was like, Joe, what do you think about this? And, and it, like, it became a very, very quick friendship and collaboration. Well, we were, yeah, we were completely simpatico, was, which was uh, how I felt about it. It is the most fun I had in the, the, the decade that I spent making radio plays at, at CBC. And that's saying a lot because I had a lot of fun during that decade. And I will say about the guy who um who we took the mix away from, you know, I felt obviously very awkward about that, so I had phoned him up and 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 said, "Listen, this is what we're thinking, you know, it's kind of awkward, do you mind?" And uh, he was incredibly gracious about it because he was actually an extremely talented recording engineer for music, and that was his thing. And he didn't have the background in in radio plays, but I couldn't do music the way that he could do music. So we each had our specialties. So it just made sense. Like I said, it was no no offense to him. It just wasn't the right fit. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I lived out my dream of doing a Hitchhiker's like show with CBC and Joe. It was 1987, by the way. Ni- 1987 is... is Dirt Gently. When, <laughs> so I was okay. just, just in case there's some listeners screaming at their... <laughs> <laughs> so I was 12. I was 12 years old. And I, so I must have read Hitchhikers way earlier than that. I must have been I would 10. think so. Yeah. 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 Because by Dirk Gently's, I was well versed in the whole thing. I mean, that's it. That's that's the age, right? That you're oh, like. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Because I mean, I think. You're like a sponge. It's it's what what blows me away is there's, you know, about nine years difference in our age. But I have so many of the same influences. Like Python for me, like imprinted on my brain. Because I saw it. Actually, I saw it on television. So we're going back to the year I was embarrassing myself uh in england i saw it live that year i think it was probably the last season but uh yeah oh season four the yeah the 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 un yeah the weird year <laughs> well but at least it was, it was probably also in reruns too because i mean they they reruns because i remember seeing tom baker back then too i don't mind when he was supposed to be when was he when was he the the doctor. Well, he was the doctor before I like he was in, he was the doctor in the seventies, so I would have been too young to actually see it because I was yeah. born in seventy five. Yeah, because I remember but, watching Doctor Who, and I think it was Tom Baker it was the guy with the scarf, right? Yeah, yeah. and that, I mean, when I was a kid, I, the one I remember the most was this one called Brain of Morbius, and they I think it was that TVO here aired them like yeah. they weren't airing them immediately. 
because you know, yeah. I think I think I would have been too young, but they must have been. Recent. So yeah, I just got lucky that I happened to get introduced to Python really early, and it was it was great because it was something that I could watch with my father, and he would get all of the adult humor. But there was it was Python was just so stupid too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I mean, great jokes about philosophers and so on, but some of the stuff was like the the it's uh, the mystery of funny walks and so on. Like See, it, I, I think kids, kids could pick like up on that stuff though, because yeah. it's like you know, remember also there was Benny Hill. Yes. And it was like Benny Hill was funny, but it wasn't as good. It's kind of like uh, um, I think about when I was a kid, there was the Frantics and then there was the Royal Canadian Air Force on Saturday mornings mm-hmm. on CBC Radio. I love the Frantics. I did not like the Air Force. My dad liked the Air Force. I don't know if he liked it. Was, there was definitely, I, I don't know, there was just something, there was something cooler about that stuff. There was just a, even, even though if you're a kid, I think you can pick up on, on those things. Yeah. I wonder how many people have been influenced by Python in our in our generations. Like, well, you're a Gen Xer too, so we're the same generation, but they're like uh comedy Steven Spielberg. You yeah, I mean? basically, like, yeah. Like they set the template for uh a lot of our sense of humor, I think, for an entire generation. Yeah. So yeah. you said Douglas Adams actually wrote for Python. I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either. Yeah. He I think he I don't know if he wrote that much. I think he wrote for Graham Chapman or he helped he he sort of co-wrote some sketches with him. I don't know if he was an official writer on the show, but I know he did some work with Chapman and and, and around that fourth season. I think it was like in that fourth season. And I I know they partnered up the Pythons and uh, wasn't Graham Chapman partnered with John Cleese and yeah yeah, so and then that last sorry that last last season he wasn't he wasn't part of it so that makes sense to me that he would have needed a partner right I think that's exactly what happened yeah yeah so I wonder uh Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy so the radio series we know that the spirit influenced you and certainly when we were making radio plays with CBC in my mind and I think perhaps in yours as well we were trying to make that breakout hit. You know, we were trying to make the, the Canadian Hitchhiker's, Hitchhiker's Guide, Guide to the, the Galaxy. Galaxy. And we thought that we could if only the CBC got behind us and they kind of never really did. But okay, so beyond the the spirit of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was there anything else specifically that influenced you? I think that, I think for a kid like me, and I think this speaks true for a, a lot of kids who who Hitchhiker's resonated with, you know, Hitchhiker's is the most emotionally resonant book or radio series but there's something about douglas adams view of the world and the galaxy that that sort of absurdism and and he really he got a lot of humor out of things not making sense he laughed at the nonsensical nature of the world and i think for a kid who's struggling to understand how things work or trying to make sense of things and can get really anxious or frustrated at not being able to understand how things work Having material that pokes fun at that and says nothing makes sense, and it's funny because nothing makes sense, I think that was incredibly uh, reassuring for me. And I'm sure, again, like I said, I think for a lot of people who it really, really um, uh, resonated with, I, I, I think there's a real common thread to the kids that that loved Python, loved Hitchhiker's Guide. It's it's it, it's that it's 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 laughing at the absurdity of the world. And when you're a kid, you need that if if you're especially if you're coming from like a broken home or, you know, there's fighting in the house, like it's it's looking for something that that makes sense of all of it, or at least says there is no 
sense to make, and that's okay too. It's so clever. And when you're a kid, you want to feel clever. So when you get the jokes, you feel you feel like you're clever. <laughs> Although it's funny because I just remembered that in grade school, I wrote a report on the peril sensitive sunglasses. <laughs> and I completely misread it. I, I, I thought they said pearl sensitive sunglasses. <laughs> so I never really I was like, again, I must have been 10 or 11. I didn't understand the joke. And then I remember learning what they actually meant oh there was an embarrassing moment there you go there uh, you, you got about. one there you <laughs> go yeah i was very embarrassed to realize i'd written a whole report on pearl sensitive sunglasses and i was like oh peril as in danger oh that makes way more sense uh, it's like, oh thinking. never mind yeah 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 well i remember for me for me a part of the douglas adams brilliance was lines like uh, it hung in the air the way bricks, bricks don't don't yeah. 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 <laughs> you know, which I just, when I read that, I'm like, oh my God, that's, how did he come up with that? That's brilliant. Like, okay, so that line in, in Douglas Adams is, is genius to me. They're all, it's, it's all genius. Like, that's the thing about that, that book is I can't believe, I mean, he was a pantser too, right? Like, he kind of mm -hmm. just wrote it as he, as he, as he came up with it. And, and there's stuff in there that you just go, geez, it's just like, that just sort of flew out of his brain. Well, and he didn't even want to write it. Like the first book is only what, 160, 180 pages long? <laughs> yeah, it's like the first three episodes of the show. By the end of it, they had to like lock him into a hotel room to make him write anything. And you know, you're not allowed out of this hotel room until you finish writing, you know, Dirk Gently. I believe that, that first book ends where it does because that was the deadline. It was like you're done now, we have to we have to take it away from you. It, and and that's why it kind of ends in a and uh, let's go to the Millie ways, right? It's just sort of a weird to be continued. And of course, you know what he said about about deadlines. I was going to say that's my that's my email signature. It's uh, I love deadlines. I love the booshing sound they make as they fly by. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, but you you're like you're writing because I would read Matt's scripts, you know, before we made them, with an eye towards you know making some suggestions. I would I would usually have my obnoxious suggestions that I would make but there would always be some some bits and some lines that I would just think holy cow like this guy is funny you know and like he, right, he nice. you're, you. you're coming up with stuff that I don't know how you come up with it so I mean it's just I think I think part of it's just a sketch background you know just sort of like I remember Bob Martin he said that the best way to approach a, a, a show is just treat every scene like a sketch what's the game in the in the in the scene so, you know, it's just geared towards trying to find humor. And sometimes it's stupid, absurd stuff. And sometimes it's wordplay. And sometimes it's a joke. And, you know, we just try to find something. Yeah. Yeah. And I think also we just have a similar sense of humor. I, I, I just say also, I think you found me funny because we have a, we share, we share a brain. Um, I don't think everybody finds my stuff funny. I think I'd be a lot more successful if they did. <laughs> Yeah, well, actually, you know, I've been looking back at some of my uh, earlier work, and uh, and my overwhelming impression is that uh, man, I was weird. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my stuff is weird. <laughs> you know, and I'm yeah, I'm like to an extent that I did not appreciate. I think when I was creating it, I don't know. Weird's good. Oh, you know, you know what I was gonna. This is a side note, but the Hitchhiker's Guide TV show, I remember really disliking, and I still don't like it. I can't watch it. Uh, because I don't want to see what any of that stuff looks like. I, you know, I had an, both based on the book and the radio series, I had an image of, of Marvin. I had an image hmm. of Zaphod. Yeah. And then the TV show just could not do either of them justice. 
and it felt slow as a result. What did, what did you think in the movie? I didn't mind the movie yeah. so much, but I, I, I thought it was really interesting because they Adams did a pass on it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know how much of it, but, you know, he, he really tried to bolster uh, Trillian's character because in the radio yeah. series and the book, she's just nothing. Yeah. And I thought he did a, I thought they did a passable job. I liked the Henson Muppets. Like, mm. I liked the Henson. Yeah. The, the Vogons looked incredible. And I really liked Sam Rockwell as uh, Zaphod. I, yeah. yeah. I thought he was perfect. I, I actually really liked Stephen Fry doing the narration. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. He was great, too. Yeah. I thought he was perfect because I think I, I didn't have that voice in my head because I didn't know who Stephen Fry was. Uh, when I read the book, but it, it kind of like matched up with the tone I thought in my head when I read the book originally. Cause yeah, unlike you, I, I read the book before I, I did actually hear the radio series or one of the seasons, uh, the second time I lived in England in the 80, in the early eighties, but it wouldn't have been live. It would have been a replay, yeah. I would guess. Right. Yeah. They were never live. They, oh, you mean it would never have been like the first time it was broadcast. Yeah. And it wasn't like when it was first. No, released. Cause I don't even yeah, know when that was, when the first season aired, it was in the mid to late seventies, maybe mid seventies, probably. Yeah. 77 yeah. maybe. And I, but it was funny cause I, I, I heard, I caught her on the radio. I think my mom was listening to something and then, I went, wait a minute, don't, don't, don't change that. That's, that's Douglas Adams. And I loved it. I, I was there every day, but I knew the story, of course, because I'd read the books. But, uh, yeah, I still love listening to it. It's just so inventive. And it's so, it, again, sci fi is so tricky because, you know, there's, there's so many different aspects or there's so many different ways you can go about it. Like, you know, how close is it to our contemporary world? Or, or how how realistic is it? How grounded is it? And then Hitchhikers is just kind of a mishmash of everything. Uh, you you have the infinite improbability drive. Everything that he writes makes sense. It's like, but it's all adhering to his own logic. Uh, mm-hmm. Like the yeah. whole thing about flying, just throw yourself at the ground and miss. Like, mm-hmm. and the, it, yeah. It, it, yeah. It, on the surface. It sounds ridiculous, but then you you think about it for a second. And you go right, of course that it, it, there there's a logic there, uh, and that's that's everything everything he writes. And and I, I think I, I respond to that too. Is um, I could never really get into Terry Pratchett that much because I thought he was a little too fantasy driven, and I could never really nail down the internal logic of his worlds. Uh, but but and people always compared him to Douglas Adams too. I guess just because of the humor. But I, 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 again, I find that Douglas Adams stuff, it's grounded in, 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 it sounds scientific, even if it isn't. Well, and the, and the impact on science fiction, you cannot write uh, humorous science fiction without being compared to Douglas Adams. Mm-hmm. And there's a big, uh, that is so true. you guys would know way more about this than I do, but there's a real uh, bias against humor in science fiction, isn't there? Or is there? Uh, yeah. Yep. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, I think there is. Yeah, it's it's very hard to like write funny science fiction. It's it's also it's just to start with. It's very hard to write a, a novel that's funny, right? Any long form narrative, it's it's challenging to to do the thing because you don't have all the ability that you have in stand up. You you know you're not there, so you can't react to what people are doing. Uh, you can't even do sort of personal interplay like you can with a sketch. Uh, you you can sort of do that a little bit in terms of setting up the scenario and 
but yeah, it's it's really challenging to write uh, humorous uh, anything in a long form. And then I think in science fiction, there's an additional hurdle, which is, it, you're yeah, you're always going to be compared to Douglas Adams. Yeah, it's kind of inevitable. Um, and so then to do something that's somewhat original, then you're fighting against that a little bit. I think it's, it's interesting. I didn't even think about that. I there's because you're right. When I read Douglas, when I read Hitchhikers or listened to, I guess we're deviating from. The, we're talking more about the book, which is fine. We're talking about <laughs> the properties, the IP. It's all good. It's all yeah, still yeah. in the genre. Um, you know. <laughs> but you're right. It was really funny. And how often have you read a book, let alone a science fiction book, that made you laugh out loud? Yeah. And it's and it's true. You're right. I mean, I, I've read – I just read this book called – I had to Google it because I forgot. And my brain is like a sieve. But it was called The Book of Joe. Coincidentally, Joe. It's called The Book of Joe by Jonathan Tropper. And it made me laugh a lot. And I thought, right, other than – you know, like a David Sedaris collection of short stories. It's not very often yeah. that you read a book that makes you laugh while you're reading it. And yeah. and I, I hadn't even thought about that. But yeah, yeah, exactly. And and Douglas Adams did that. Well, and interestingly, all of us here, you know, write or attempt to to write amusing prose. I, I mean, I've tried to write a funny book, but I'm sure, you know, like, a, I don't know. It could be one of the things like, oh, this doesn't work. But I, a lot of it, a lot of it for, I think for Adams, though, just is his voice. Because one of my favorite Adams books is actually not fiction. It's it's the book he wrote Last called Chance Last Chance to See. to See. Love that book. Yeah. yeah. Which is a beautiful book. It's it's and hilarious. Yeah. I mean, I I've got the scene of him <laughs> going to I can't remember what the islands are in Indonesia where he's gonna see the Komodo dragons and there's chickens in the front of the boat. Yeah. And he like he knows what the chickens are for. <laughs> the chickens don't know what the chickens are for. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that's burned in my mind and it's so funny well and yeah and anybody listening who has read uh, hitchhiker's guide i would say you have to run out and if you haven't read it read adam's last chance to see because i think yeah. it's his best work which obviously is saying a lot i i agree i wonder if it's even available uh, that's a good question it was okay i can tell you when it was written <laughs> it's you know there's certain authors well occasionally it's like one of stephen king's best books is on writing yeah and That's true. Michael Crichton wrote a book called Travels. Uh, did you ever read that? And it was about his his about his travels overseas and his travels in the world, and also his his travels in like he went to meditation resorts and he went to past life regressions, and it was sort of it was, a, it was an external and internal book of travels. It was a fascinating. I mean, I, again, I read this as a teenager. I don't know if it holds up, but I always remember it sort of standing out. It's like wow, every now and then these fiction writers will write something of nonfiction. And it's just as good, and I wish that mm -hmm. they did more of it. It was nineteen ninety, and it is available. So, for last chance to see. Oh, yeah. good. Yeah, people should read that. Anything else you want to say, Matt, about uh, Hitchhiker's Guide the Radio Show? Um, I thought that uh, the actors were all very good in it. Simon Jones was perfect. He was the narrator. Uh, Simon, no, Peter Jones was the narrator. Simon Jones is Arthur Dent. Oh, okay. I still listen to it from time to time. I haven't in a while. Uh, they continued it. Uh, they did a the the tertiary phase, and recently in the last twenty years, they they adapted the third, fourth, and fifth oh. book to a radio drama. I never really listened to them. I couldn't really get into them. Just like the later books too. Like the I don't know if you read Life the Universe. Of course, you guys read yeah, Life the Universe read and everything. But it is not you know there's a there's a significant drop off after a restaurant for me. Uh, it, they get a little dull. I like the the life, the universe, and everything has that bistro math. Mm, uh, yeah, the ship that is powered by bistro math. I like that. 
but uh what book has the whale that's the first that's the first book oh really okay oh you know what the third one has that's a great little bit is the oh yeah the 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 pot of petunias the the, that's it's it's the guy who he's uh immortal and he's decided to go through the universe and insult everybody to their face (laughs) uh and then there's the there's the guy who keeps getting reincarnated and because every time he dies it's Arthur Dent who kills him yes. and it we find out that he was the bull of petunias yeah he was the yeah and the whale and the whale oh he no every, not yeah. again oh no not again uh, yeah that's what that was what that was referencing he was the guy yeah. who keeps getting reincarnated and killed by Arthur Dent and now I, something else which is kind of odd about Hitchhiker's Guide the theme Journey of the Sorcerer, wasn't it? Yeah, by the Eagles. By the Eagles, yeah. How would they – doesn't that strike you guys as kind of odd that they would pick like an American, you know, Southern – You know, from what I remember, Adams was a big music guy, right? Like he was good friends with um, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd and, you know, I think he just – I don't even know if he was a stoner. Well, that kind of makes sense to he, me. He, 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 his music taste seemed to be stoner music and Journey of the Sorcerer <laughs> is definitely like something – Stoners would have listened to. I think it's very. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't even sound like the Eagles. It's a very comforting song for me, and I don't know if it's the song itself or it's because I associate it with the show. That's a great song, and some of his characters. I mean, Zaphod Beeblebrox is pretty American. Yeah, hmm. like, that's an American character. There's no question that's American. Well, the name certainly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and Mark yeah. Wing Davies yeah. playing him with an American accent. Yeah, that's uh, lots of people named Zaphod in Iowa. <laughs> It's the sheer creativity of yeah. that of the whole series that that I'll never I, I think is unmatched in ways because going back to my point about science fiction, Joe, we had this. I remember so Mark. One of the series that we did was a show called Canadia, and it was and the way I pitched it was because Joe and I had done these post apocalyptic things. The the there's a limitation in radio in the sense that there's no limitation. You can just come up and do whatever you want it's like anything you can imagine you can record and i found it exhausting because it was it's almost pressure to come up with these incredibly creative things like adams did it's just everything he touched it was just so unbelievably creative and inventive so the last series i did was all set i pitched it as barney miller in space so it was just on a ship and it was a crew of a ship because i just didn't want to have to think about that stuff anymore because I'm not as creative as someone like Douglas Adams. I beg to differ. And and I think he he's someone who utilized the radio to its fullest potential by just, you know, going like the Zaphod thing is a perfect example. It was meant as a radio joke, him having two heads <laughs> because it's the yeah. same actor delivering both lines. It's something you're never going to see. And then the television show and the film both had to try to figure out how to make that work. And Sam Rockwell was good as, as Zaphod, I thought. Yeah. You're, and well, to your point of him being American, and then I think Sam Rockwell played him as the ultimate American, right? He's basically doing Bush. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's <was> great. <laughs> uh, Mark, what do you think? Any any final thoughts on? Uh... Oh, I no, I'm just really happy to t- talk about Douglas Adams in any capacity at all. He's just he's a joy. It was a real loss when he died. It was, I, you know, and I, a shock. I, I don't think I've had a lot of like celebrity deaths that have impacted me over my life. Weirdly, the other one was John Ritter. But uh, Douglas Adams was a big one when he died. I remember exactly where I was and that that sinking feeling of 
how could he be gone? It's just like mm-hmm. he was such an influence and he was so young. He was very young. Well, it's one thing if they die when they're like 102. You're like, oh, that's sad, you know, 102. But, you know, pretty good life. But 48, 49? No, that's, yeah, way, way too young. I think it depends. I mean, Leonard Cohen, when he died, I was pretty gutted. But, you know, he was fairly old or he wasn't he wasn't a young. See, there's a good question. Celebrity deaths that impacted you. Who who were you upset? Leonard Cohen. Well, Kurt Vonnegut. The only person Vonnegut. I was as upset about was Kurt Vonnegut. I was very upset. I mean, he was he was praying for death. I know. He was fine with being dead. You remember his joke about uh you remember his joke <laughs> about uh, cigarettes like suing yeah. the, the like suing, yeah, them suing because, the company? Yeah, yeah. cuz they hadn't uh, <laughs> they hadn't fulfilled their promise of killing him. They they had delivered. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's funny. I was told I would die of cancer, and you did not deliver. <laughs> you know, Vonnegut's uh, his story arc, uh, his his live basically TED talks on the structure of story. I use that. Oh, that's, that's fabulous. That's yeah. how I structure yeah. stories: is I do it as a graph. I, I very much use his his method. I think yeah. it's it, for whatever for certain people with kind of certain kind of brains, it makes a hundred percent perfect sense. Vonnegut keeps a, he's a recurring theme on this podcast for sure, you know. But okay, um, uh, celebrities. So Ed Asner, and, and you actually worked with, uh, with Ed Asner, which must have been super cool. He did uh, these spots on, uh, on climate change. And I remember the one line and he was already, you know, quite up there when he uttered this line. He's like, Oh, that I don't worry about that. That's an after I'm dead problem. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> another great line. That's kind of the problem we're facing though, isn't it? <laughs> I have a I have a few good Ed Asner stories, and I'll tell you my favorite one was uh, we were out to dinner, and uh, you know he walked with a cane towards the end of his life, and he was very slow. But then uh, I got up to go to the bathroom, and he decided he had to go to the bathroom as well, and he ran past me to get to the bathroom. Oh. He really had to go, <laughs> and then uh, and then I, I peed next to him, and he was just he was just making such perfect old man whooping, and, you know like. <laughs> Noises as he peed. <laughs> Just, uh, That's he a spicy was, meatball. <laughs> yeah, he was great. He was so much fun. <laughs> That's great. That's all I got. Wow. Well, okay. And actually, that's a, a great How uh, can we not end on Exactly. End <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Matt, thank you very much for being on our podcast, Recreative. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm so flattered you asked me to do it. Or maybe I suggested it. I can't remember. <laughs> maybe I said, Joe, I got to do your podcast. <laughs> Awesome to meet you, Matt. Yeah, we're delighted to have you on. And uh, and as we (laughs) say to uh, all of our guests, we may well have you on again. I'd love to. Yeah. Thanks. That was fun. Thanks, guys. So, Mark, you and I have discussed how people can support this podcast and... uh, One of the ways I would like to get them to support us is by, and I think you're going to like this, by uh, purchasing one of your books. Ooh, I like that. How about your books? We're going to start with your books. We'll start with my books? Okay. And today I would like to point people in particular to Alpha Max, which is a novel about the metaverse, which is kind of in vogue these days. Yeah, and it doesn't take a lot of the standard approaches that the metaverse stories do. I think it's a bit more grounded. It's funny and uh, and it's witty. And it's smart and it's entertaining. Go to recreative.ca slash support and you can find our books there. Alpha Max by Mark A. Rayner. 